Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday, dear Wapod. Happy birthday to us, Wapod. And we are two years old today. We are a women's history podcast that talk about women from history you may not have heard of. And like I said, we've been doing this for two years, and I'm Kelly. I'm Emily, and welcome to the Terrible Tubes. I hope not. We're toddling around. We're sticking things in outlets. We're going to be sassy as fuck this year. We're rubbing our poop on all of the walls, and you're betting. (laughs) And drawing you lovely, lovely pictures that are just scribbles, but you're going to tell us they're beautiful anyways. It's called Fun with Feces. (laughs) (laughs) Fun with Feces and Crayons. Have fun trying to potty train us. We will break you. (laughs) I can't believe we've been doing this for two years. I really can't. And I can't believe it's so much like... I kind of forgot. Technically two years and a week. <laughs> no, because by the time this comes out, three, it will be one. the eighth. Yeah, didn't we start on three one? No. No, it was like it was it was it was international women's Oh Jesus. It was international like women's, women's day, day, which yeah. is March eighth. Oh my god, we're right. <gasps> we're we did gonna that on purpose. do two years exactly on our two years. I didn't even think about that. Which is why we are celebrating uh, I mean, with some no, very we special vodka. Totally <laughs> planned that. Um, We're so prepared. We are. We are drinking and have drunk. <laughs> we are drunk. I'm Kelly drunk. is drunk. Um. So we we did a history happening before this, which will come out Wednesday. Yes. Yes. So we're drinking uh, Svedka Vodka Rosé. So it's vodka with 5% rosé wine in it. I liked it, but I'm used to the burn of vodka. Emily was not as thrilled. I'm not a but vodka she also person. Has to drive. I like I like bourbon and whiskey. That being said, like it's not terrible. It's no. not like straight vodka. Like exactly, and it like it does have like a rosé flavor to it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like if you water down rosé with disinfectant. That was safe to drink. No, that would be gin, <laughs> darling. Uh, no, because it doesn't taste like pine salt. It doesn't taste like cleaner. <laughs> That's true. It's unscented pine salt. <laughs> I don't know. <sighs> oh, my God. So before we get started, and because this is our two-year, I just want to give a huge shout-out. I have I have a couple of, like, housekeeping oh things. Oh, my God. She's going to, like, steal everything, and I'm just going to be over here feeling shitty because <laughs> I don't have I anything stealing? to say. No, shut up. You're fine. okay so one of our uh, listeners melissa she was kind enough to send us a really lovely facebook message that definitely didn't make me cry no i'm not crying she's crying she's crying it's it's all on her we're fine um but she basically sent us this really nice facebook message about how us being so open uh maybe to a fault about our mental health and our struggles with it and trying to get back into therapy and all of that has actually really helped her and made her feel less alone. And I, I think she said something along the lines of like she wouldn't listen to the next episode until she, yeah, until she reached like, out to someone. And I was like, I'm so proud of you. I, I need know. to follow my own advice. Yeah. <laughs> so actually that inspired Kelly because she's, you know, we, we always talk about how if you don't like your therapist, that doesn't mean therapy's not good for you. It just means maybe that therapist is not the one. It really is like dating. So it is. 
Kelly's following that advice and now she's she's back on the dating scene (laughs) looking for a new therapist. And I actually this last week had my first psych appointment. I was super anxious about it because I was very concerned about verbalizing some of the darker things that I've been dealing with inside my head that I haven't dared to share with anyone else uh, unless it's veiled in a very unserious, sarcastic comment. <laughs> and it was actually, it was really good. Uh, it felt really good to get all of that out. And I am trying out a prescription. And I'm not saying that to like overshare or advocate, like you need drugs. No. But because there is such a stigma against taking, you know, antidepressants and prescriptions to help with your mental illness, I just wanted to put it out there. I'm doing it. I'm also exploring talk that. Therapy. I need to find a provider for that. And I don't know, like, Melissa's message was so touching. It really was. And it, it was a cool thing because, like, I know I'm not alone because Kelly's there for me. My boyfriend has mental health struggles. You know, I know a lot of people that struggle with it. But then to hear a listener be like, hey, I'm also struggling. It made me feel really good that, you know, you're talking about it made me feel less alone. It did. It like, made me, like, I mean, and like we said, we know we have each other. But yeah, it did. It helped. To feel less alone. Yeah. So I I hope we're having that effect on other people by being open about it. Melissa, thank you so much for the lovely message. We love you. She's really active on our Facebook. She is. And I've meant to shout her out before, but it's one of those things that we hit the record button and my mind becomes jelly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just, I want to give her a shout out. That was so sweet. And Melissa, we love you and we're here for you and stay strong. Yes. I also have a second housekeeping item. Of course you do. Uh, It's really good, though. <laughs> so Kelly and I were recently on an episode of Body Count. Yes. Which is so a, much fun. It's an amazing history podcast that's women-led, and they talk about events in history that have a body count. So at least one person, usually lots of people, end up dead. So we joined them for their most recent episode to talk about some women with pretty high body counts of their own. And you'll recognize them because they're women we've covered on this podcast. That doesn't mean like, oh, I don't have to listen. I already know. No, you should definitely go listen. It's very different. Um... It was it was so amazing. The hosts, uh, Kara and Jessica, were so welcoming and so sweet. Kara's actually been like an, a longtime early supporter of the podcast, and she does a ton of history stuff herself. Yes, and it was it was so much fun. And we actually Kara's had like, to cut it. Oh, Kara lit- or Kara, sorry, <laughs> Kara's like OG, like from the beginning. Two she might years be her ago, first review. She might be. Her she first might be. Her and first we review. love her. But yeah, so you can find Body Count wherever you listen to us. It should be uh, the most recent episode by the time this comes out. Yes. Uh, But it's definitely one of the more recent episodes. And our name is like in the title. I think it's called Literally Whining About Her Story. Right. And I mean, we'll we'll share it on all our social medias. We have. Yeah. But yeah, that's another reason you should follow us on social media, because sometimes uh, by the time something happens and we get an episode out, it's totally old news. Right. So follow us on social media for immediate updates. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Like this this past year has been amazing. We've done so many more guest spots. We did our first interview. We've gotten a lot more patrons, which I was like, oh, my God, people actually want to support us financially. Like, are you guys okay? (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. We just got another like $10 patron, uh, Andy. I'm so proud of them. Andy, what's up? We love you. Andy's amazing. We love amazing. you more than all the other funerary cult members except 
Marissa. Marissa's Marissa. also in our funerary Except cult. Our, no, who's the other $10 patron? Marissa. Okay, so it is Marissa. It is Marissa. <laughs> but no, we, we love all of our funerary cult members, but you know, the $10 patrons, you know, help us buy like two bottles of wine. Yeah. We or like one really we nice bottle of wine. AF. <laughs> cheap AF. <laughs> oh, but yeah. So I don't know. I'm feeling very positive. This week has been a lot better than last week where I was like teetering on the edge of a like straight up breakdown. <laughs> yeah, I was telling Emily that I only worked for two days and two hours this week because I was sick. So yeah, that helped my teetering on the edge of a breakdown too because yeah. I just laid in bed and slept a lot. Ugh. God, give me a prescription for that in the south of France right now. <laughs> That's why I should have asked the yeah. doctor for like, can I have a prescription to for travel to the, the south, south of France? France. <laughs> that used to be a thing, right? Can we bring it back? Yeah, please. I mean, especially super not now. <laughs> right. All right. Well, cheers to two years. Happy cheers birthday, bitch. Years. Happy birthday. Ooh, that was an excellent clank. It's my birthday. Well, it's our birthday. Literally, on the you know, day you're, well, maybe not on the day you're listening to this, but on the day this comes out. So I kind of get the appeal of vodka, like flavored vodka, because I do, it. the burn reminds me of like the burn of whiskey or something, but it's still like, like whiskey and bourbon, I feel have like a thicker viscosity almost, they or do. like a fuller well, they, flavor. They, yeah, they have other flavors, because like, like, they usually have like some, like a smoky hint and an earthy, and this is literally... Just a burn. You know what the you know why I just realized this vodka in particular, this is alcoholic LaCroix. Where it's like I mean, really they do watery. Say drink it with a splash of sparkling water. It's watery <laughs> because the ice cubes melt it. No, it no, but you know, because it doesn't have that thickness of whiskey or bourbon, yeah. and then it like kind of tastes like it was maybe next to some strawberries or some rose. Yeah, it, is, it is the flavored water of the liquor world. Yes, I love it. It's not All just right. LaCroix. It's mm, like 90% of flavored water. That This is true. Yeah. So I think I'm starting us off. Yeah, because you need I, to start us off for I our birthday episode, even though enough. I don't think either of us did like anything super special. Um, We will. It's because we also have our 100th episode coming up. And we're going to do something more special so for that. So that'll be our video episode and it'll be fun. And yeah. Pug plates might be involved. Pug plates? Don't ask. What? Just wait for it. I'm so excited Just now. wait for it. Just shut up. Shut I don't up. Like anything fun. Okay, go ahead. Okay. So I didn't pick this story specifically for Women's History Month or our two year birthday, but this lady is wild in. Like, remember wild in? Re- yeah, wild in. It's a it's a verb. Okay. And an adjective. <laughs> to be wild. She's okay. wild in. <laughs> She's wild in. Okay. Uh so remember your bra inventor lady? This is like her second on par with that. <laughs> yeah. So I am covering Peg Plunkett. Ooh. I just, I decided to screw myself with, with those name. plosives. So Peg Plunkett was born Margaret Plunkett in Killo, Ireland, sometime around 1727 or 1736 yeah, or 1742. It's one of those. We haven't had one of those in a long time where we're yeah. like, well, there's like six different dates she might have been born. <laughs> the on. first page of my notes is actually just a bunch of different years that she may have been born. <laughs> Here's the thing, guys. We know she was born. We know at she existed. some point. <laughs> According to her memoir, it was 1727, but modern historians feel it was later. But I was like, what woman makes herself herself look older? older? Yeah, (laughs) I I agree. Anyway, the reason there's some cloudiness around her life is because much of... (laughs) 
what we uh, much of what we know about Peg comes from her memoirs. And this means a lot of the stuff uh, she either found like not worth mentioning or didn't want to talk about and was omitted. Yeah, they just don't exist because as- she was like, meh. Well, we love a woman controlling her own narrative, but it also means that it's it, it's colored a little bit by her own opinions and what yep. she's willing to share and that kind of yep. thing. So see, we've seen that with a few other women we've covered where we're like, you yeah. know, she either straight up lied about some things. <laughs> well, some like of these women, the women they build I've up their covered. own legend, you know. Right. Uh, there was also some blackmail involved with her memoirs, so we'll get into that towards the end. That sounds fun. Also, like, do you know what year everything happened in your life? I mean, no. I can tell you what year I was born. Yeah, but like, <laughs> neither did she. You know, some some of these really these memories I have of my childhood, I'm like, I have no idea how old I was or right. when that was or what the fuck was. I going know on. I was, you know, a toddler or a teenager or yeah. you know. So what we maybe probably know is that she was one of 22 children. This is according to her memoir. Only eight of which survived to adulthood. Twenty. Two, there had to be twins in there. Like, that's insane. Like, yeah, but only eight surviving. Like, those are rough odds, buddy. Yeah, but (laughs) still, you figure it's nine months per child with childbearing years being roughly, at that time, 14, 13. I was going to say 13. To, to like, 30. Yeah. And then you died. So that's (laughs) 17 years. There had to be at least... Two sets of twins in there. Yeah, it's that is like just an absolute insane amount of children. So growing up in rural Ireland in the late 18th century meant contending with mass famine. No fun. Fortunately for Peg and her family, though, her father was a wealthy landowner and she had a privileged upbringing in the fact that she was afforded an education, which included music and dance. And, you know, they could afford food if they were trying to have like 22 children. They can afford food. Like, they're they're good here. So Peg's life was pretty much mapped out for her. She'd marry someone of her status or hire if she was lucky. Right. And become a respectable woman running the house and perhaps overseeing servants while popping out airs for her husband. It's the same path her two older sisters had taken, and there was no reason to think that she wouldn't follow suit. But, you know, we probably wouldn't be talking about Peg if that's how her life had played right. out. <laughs> what is it? Um, well, we have women seldom make history. Yes. So while her family's wealth helped shield them from many of life's hardships, i.e. widespread famine, Yay. it couldn't protect them from everything. Illness struck the family and would end up killing Peg's mother and older brother. Peg survived because her father sent her away to live with an uncle to avoid becoming sick. It's, you know, when when someone in your household gets sick and it rips through everyone, you're going to get it unless you leave. Peg's father was devastated by the loss of his wife and son, so much so that he relinquished all of his duties to one of his other sons, Christopher. To put it nicely, Christopher was a bastard-coated bastard with bastard filling. So he's he's a hemorrhoid. He's a hemorrhoid. Full of hemorrhoids. <laughs> yes. With extra hemorrhoids. If you want to know what that means, subscribe to our Patreon. Also, start using it. Yes. Uh, I also like to call him Shitstifer. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. So he blew the family's money, abused those around him, and used his power to make his sister's lives a living hell. I mean, at least those two sisters already married and got the fuck they, out. Yeah, they were lucky. Like, <laughs> the money that would serve as their dowries to ensure they married well, he spent Gone. it. Yep. 
even if someone did come along proposing to marry his sisters, he told the suitors to fuck off so he could basically keep his sisters trapped and to continue to that's, abuse that's them creepy. and force them to serve him. It's gross, that's right? Like, it's so not creepy. even like, oh, he's blowing his money by being irresponsible. No, he's also like us alone. making his sisters like his slaves and shit. That's crazy. Like, th- there should be a true crime podcast about this dude because he's nasty. Is he? Oh. Yeah. Finally, one of Peg's sisters ran off to Dublin, met a dude, and got married. Good. But instead of simply enjoying her newly acquired freedom, she returned to the family home to tell Shitstifer to blow it out his ass and rescued the then 15-year-old Peg, taking her to Dublin with her. Empowered sisters, empowered sisters. Now, basically, after being held captive by her older brother, Dublin was a breath of fresh air for Peg. She loved walking through the city and chatting, especially with men. Peg was gorgeous, witty, and charming, so it wasn't surprising that she was, like, really popular with guys. She's a bit of a flirt, and that only grows within her. But, like, she's 15 years old. She's in the city. She's having a good time. Unfortunately, the fact that she was rolling in marriage proposals and suitors couldn't save her from shitstifer. By the way, I want everyone to know, I just thought of that while saying this nice. right now. That so it beautiful. says Christopher throughout my notes, and I am correcting it in my head, and it just feels so right. It, does. it feels so it. natural. <laughs> so her dickbag brother was trying to get her to come home and rub his bunions or some other shit, since he was technically in charge of Peg. Uh, he rejected any suitor's proposal, wouldn't hand over her dowry, which he was burning through anyway, and actually tried to scare men away from her. So she's off in Dublin doing her thing, getting proposals, but it's Shitstifer who gets to decide if it goes, if the marriage goes down or not. And also gets to decide Fuck if this dude that. gets a dowry. And honestly, like a lot of guys at this status that are probably flirting with her, they're expecting and oh, wanting one a dowry. Because this is a financial transaction. This eventually led to Peg's return to the family home. And I don't want to paint this as like, uh, well, she's like going back on her own. It's like she doesn't have She doesn't have a choice. And that's when things escalated. Quick trigger warning. There is some domestic violence, Mm. some pretty severe physical violence in throughout this episode i probably should have said this at the top but we haven't gotten to any of it yet so we're okay but if you are not in a place to hear these things we understand and enjoy kelly's story so peg had made a break for it and shitstifer wanted to make sure she didn't try to leave again especially after getting a taste of life in dublin like she knew there was a world out there that she could enjoy and she's gonna if you know yeah she left so. once there's no reason she wouldn't try to leave again he began to viciously beat mm. and whip peg trying to break her body and her spirit peg made another escape attempt hiding out with one of her married sisters unfortunately because she was a woman in the 18th century peg was subjected to the will of the men around her and god forbid she had a bodily personal or financial autonomy So Peg went searching for a decent man who would marry her and join her in a collective flipping the bird of Shitstifer because she needed a man to rescue her from this. She could not be independent on her own at this point. That's when she found a man who promised Peg the sun, the moon, the stars, and everything in between. Mm. The only issue was that he was already engaged. (laughs) That's kind of a thing. That's a problem. But one quick it's not you, it's me text later, the two eloped. Which is immediately a red flag, yeah. but <laughs> it does. It 
he doesn't last long enough for any of that to come to fruition. So if you think this is where things start to look up, I hate to disappoint you. This whole story is a bunch of peaks and valleys, but I promise it's going to end on a peak. So just strap in and strap on. I don't know if I trust you. Hold my hand. <laughs> While she and her new hubby were staying at an inn, Peg's brother-in-law, so I assume one of her sister's husbands, maybe? I don't know. I would assume. Busted into the room, waving a gun along with two of his buddies. They scared off her, you know lover hubby person or fiance <laughs> whatever whatever the fuck he was i don't think they got married and dragged her back to shitstifer like many wait 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 wait. they rescued her and brought her back to her shit no of a they brother? didn't rescue her she was shacking up with this guy oh they went to escape got- oh, okay because she needed a husband so that she wouldn't be under christopher's control she'd be under the husband's control yeah but it's still interesting that her brother-in-law or whoever brought that's her why back. yeah well i'm sure christopher is like go do this thing for me because fuck her maybe i'll actually give you a dowry yeah it's fucking stupid So like many victims of abuse, Peg made several more escape attempts, but they were repeatedly unsuccessful. Mm. Each time, Schistopher's horrific abuse became worse. After one beating, she was left bedridden for days. While enduring her own abuse, Peg tried to help her younger sister, who had remained Schistopher's captive the whole time. Her younger sister had stopped eating, feeling that any chance of freedom was completely out of reach. Peg's younger sister eventually wasted away and died. He killed his own sister. That's terrible. Seriously, this guy is a straight up monster. So perhaps blaming Peg for the death or perhaps just being upset there was one less person to cater to him. Whatever the reason, Schistopher began beating Peg so brutally that she began vomiting blood and was bedridden for three months. I, when I was a teenager, I had to be in the ICU on my back in bed for three days straight. And I remember the first time I, they told me I could sit up, I cried because it felt so good to move. And then I remember getting out of bed. I actually almost passed out because I hadn't been like sat up. I had been upright in so long. I can't imagine being that way for three Mm. months. Peg knew that she would either die trying to escape or die by her brother's hand. So one last time, Peg made a break for Dublin. This time, having had secured funds from her father, don't ask me what the fuck he's been doing this whole time because I don't know. Maybe he's just been disgusted with grief, whatever. This time, Peg wouldn't be dragged back to Schitzdefer, who hopefully died a slow, agonizing death because seriously, fuck that guy. Maybe he got some hemorrhoids that became infected and he like rot away from the asshole up. Hopefully. Yeah. While in Dublin, Peg met a man named Mr. Dardis and the two began engaging in some scandalous midnight rendezvous. Eventually, the two became secretly engaged. But then Peg did something that was unthinkable for the time. Get ready for this. She fucked her fiance. <gasps> Clutch your pearls, ladies. <laughs> I think I'm gonna pass out. I think we need to stop. Oh my god. Oh my god. Hold on. I'm sweating. I think I have the vipers. <laughs> oh, I'm allergic. allergic to this bullshit. <laughs> I'm allergic to all the sexual tension. <laughs> Nowadays, having sex outside of marriage is mostly no big deal. Uh, you know, at least in our society. 
But at the time, this was incredibly scandalous and would have branded someone like Peg as a ruined woman if the couple didn't end up getting married. So it was like, you needed to be sure that this dude was going to put a ring on it and marry you if you were going to have sex with him. And can you imagine, like, some of the shit that people do and lie about to get laid? Can you imagine being like, I'll marry you, and then having sex and being like, I'm done. Okay, thanks, bye. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, and then ruining your life, not his. He's fine. No one cares what he does. So friendly reminder, there were no consequences for a man having sex outside wedlock. Not that there should be, but it's bullshit that the onus is only on the woman. Right. So Peg became pregnant, and apparently Mr. Darcy decided he wasn't ready to get married. For a second, I thought you were going to say Mr. Darcy, and I'm no. like, um... <laughs> uh, So again, her fate and well-being is in the hands of a man instead of her own. Peg, penniless and pregnant, went into hiding. Because it was literally the least he could do, her former fiancé found her a place to live in a brothel. What a fucking gentleman. A lot of, like, madams, though, are, like, super understanding. I would hope so. Uh, I think this maybe inspired Peg later on. But after Peg had the baby, she moved in with Mr. Dardis. I know it's complicated. This whole thing is very dramatic. Even though Peg was living with Mr. Dardis, it wasn't some like domestic coupling. Right. It was basically like he was allowing her to have a roof over her head because she had his baby. So she struggled to earn money and began selling her possessions to make ends meet. Her family had found out about her living in a brothel and her baby situation and rejected her. So like even it sounds like even her sisters who had helped her in the past were like, bitch, what the fuck are you doing? You've gone too far. Yeah. Like, oh, Shistifer's fine killing our sister and beating me. So I'm bedridden for three months. But I have sex with my fiance and have a baby and I'm the asshole. (laughs) fuck you let's play who's the asshole yeah hint hint it's not me right so at one point she became so desperate she went back to shitstifer who also turned her away wow that's wow which shocked me because like that seems so counterintuitive for an abuser taint his reputation i i think it was because she had a baby yeah. i think i think that had something to do with it because then he was responsible was like, oh, for the baby another yeah yeah so there, there i think there was something people, about that a lot of t- like unless you can prove something like terrible happened to the baby like people are gonna care if you kill a baby yeah i mean you'd hope so i actually just listened to a podcast episode about uh tomb ireland where they had these like mother and baby homes where if you speaking of having babies babies out of wedlock if you had a baby out of wedlock you'd be sent to this place you'd be forced to do hard labor while pregnant you would have the baby and then they would keep the baby and spoiler they found a bunch of baby skeletons in a sewer yeah i mean it's like there's a several cases of like american women yeah that would take in babies and it turned out they were just killing them oh yeah i i might actually i might actually cover like the mother and baby homes for a history happenings but it's gonna be like a dark one i almost covered one of the women for halloween but i was like yeah that might be too i I, yeah we'll we'll see maybe maybe we'll decide to do that we don't reach everyone that's just patrons and they can skip it if they want (laughs) so skip anything (laughs) So Schitzer, like, turning her away, 
big picture is really fortunate, but it probably didn't feel that way at the time. And if she is so desperate that she's going to him, yeah, you know I, that's just indicative of how bad this is. is. Exactly. So Peg was in a bad way, but her life was about to take an unexpected turn. One night, she met a wealthy wine cellar. And I mean like seller with an S. She didn't mean yeah. meet like a yep. wealthy yep. hole in the ground full that, of wine. I mean, that would be okay too. <laughs> there's there's a wine cellar and it's just got a big bag of money in it. And you're like, all right. <laughs> it's just this magical thing that shows up when you most need it. I, you know, it's like that uh, that room in Harry Potter. It's the the, the room closet. Of requirement. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the wine cellar of cash. <laughs> yeah. Wine I mean, cellar of uh, wealth. Hopefully it shows up for me soon. God, right? That's like one of those uh, Facebook memes you see where it's like a wine cellar with a stack of cash. It's like, share this and you'll have money in the future. Yeah, right. It's like the new age chain mail. So anyway, this wine cellar, uh, who in the smoothest move of all time, dropped some coins in Peg's cleavage and propositioned her. So she's like hanging out at this tea house and this wine cellar is like, boink, you want to fuck? Yeah, right. <laughs> Super like, smooth. Hey, I like your boobs. You want to fuck? You know what? He said it in an Irish accent, though, and everything in an Irish accent is yeah, super she hot. She just melted and was like, all right, even though I've grown up with this accent my entire life, let's go. Who's that one really hot Irish actor? Uh, Colin Firth? Firth? Is Farrell? No, it's not Farrell. I think no. it's Colin Firth. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he, w- I've been rewatching Scrubs, and he's in an episode. And the whole thing is that all the women are yeah. just so in love with him. And I'm no, like... No, Colin Firth is an English actor. I was going to say, isn't he? He's pretty Colin much older. actor... Colin, actor, Ireland, go. Fair. It is a. It is Colin Farrell. Oh, okay. Yeah. Why did I think he He's was an Irish? Else? I did. I don't know. Long story short, Colin Farrell, such a handsome gentleman, and that <laughs> accent, like that's not fair. No. <laughs> that is Irish cheating. Act, like not all of them are that way, but like especially that like that deep like baroque. Like, oh he yeah. Has, like, oh my god. Emily needs he can store my files. <laughs> I don't know. All right. Anyway, I'll be his, I'll be his uh, wine cellar. So this wine cellar, who now I'm imagining is Colin Farrell, yeah, right. dropped some coins in Peg's tits. It was like, you want to fuck? I'm <laughs> terrible. And Peg saw an opportunity, and just like that, she's like, she yes. became a lady of the night. She's a courtesan. It's happening. Let's do this. So the wine cellar put Peg up in her own place and she got to work. So just really quick, as I was doing this research, I was imagining her as more of a like going from, you know, like a client comes, they do their thing and then she moves on to the next person. But the way all of this sounds, she was working as a courtesan. sounds like she would, he's her pimp. No, no, because he wasn't like collecting putting, money. No. So he... He just gave her room and board. It almost sounds like what we would call a sugar daddy situation nowadays because he paid her to have sex with him and like put her up in a place and paid for her things and then also paid her to have sex with him. But she was also free to do whatever she wanted. Yeah. Be a courtesan for other people. But it's it sounds I mean, like, like she would find someone and that would be like her main client for a while. And then maybe she'd move on to someone else. Except if that, that he situation. was always in the background. Well, he no, does. No, just, he's just not. He's stuff. not here throughout the whole story. But th- but that's why I'm saying the situation. Instead of like you know seeing three guys in one day or yeah, week or she, whatever, she was more of like it was more of a long term situation. Right? It was like when it was like sugar daddy. She basically just had like a series of sugar kind daddies. kind of. So 
it'll it'll become more clear as I tell the story, but I was confused by that, and that's just kind of what I think is happening. So tell the story, Emily. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> okay, ending the podcast. Two years. Mm-hmm. I'm We're done. done. That was it. <laughs> One comment, I'm done. So Peg began spending time in the music halls and taverns of Dublin, uh, rubbing, I shouldn't, I should no, that stop that right now. So rubbing shoulders with other supposedly fallen women. And I really want that as a shirt, like I'm a fallen woman or so, something about being a fallen woman because all of us kind of are nowadays. Right, really, just, yeah, just like I'm supposedly a fallen woman or something. Yeah. yeah. That'd be cute. Proud member of the fallen women club. <laughs> While most women around Peg's age were married and pushing out kids, Peg was going out. She was drinking. She was dancing and doing what most 20-somethings do nowadays. She did, but, you know, she was also, like, working and making her own money. But, you know, she's not tied to a single man. You know, she's not a man's property. She's making her own money. She's enjoying her her life. Yes. So her new career wasn't without turmoil, though. Tragically, Peg's son died devastating her and this is actually oh, one of no. many child deaths that she will endure and it's some gonna... of it's a sign of the time some some of it is a result of severe violence like i said the story has some pretty dark moments so because different guys she was with just we'll get into it so because apparently the universe just really likes to pile it on the wine cellar who had been bankrolling her and like you know kind of being her like main squeeze main client squeeze whatever you want to call it um he used her son's death as an excuse to cut her off for some reason don't ask me why i don't know because you think if she suddenly acquired a child that would be a reason no it's probably more like oh you're you're too emotional now i don't want to deal with you yeah maybe she was like grieving the death of her son and he's like He's like, oh, I can't sleep with you while you're grieving. I'm like, done. Could you, could you like stop crying for two seconds and suck my dick, please? Just this is very this unprofessional. Is what I pay you for. Like, dick. <sighs> anyway, thankfully Peg knew what to do. Like she, she had kind of her system down. She wasn't gonna let this stop her burgeoning courtesan career, and she continued to work. Eventually, she met a man whom she only ever identified as Mr. Leeson, but he was probably Joseph Leeson, son of an English earl, and would later become a member of Parliament in Ireland. Big fucking deal. Yeah. He was, there's a portrait of him. So he was also the owner of the most gorgeous blue coat with like a fur lining. And it looks so decadent and cozy. Like, Well, mine, you know that they probably just fucked on that coat all the time. Mine would be faux fur, but it's like gorgeous. Anyway, Peg eventually moved in with Mr. Leeson in his country estate where she was kind of finally able to indulge in the life that before had almost been guaranteed. But then her dick brother stepped in and ruined it because he's a fucking asshole. Fucking hemorrhoid. (laughs) (laughs) However, Peg and Mr. Leeson had different views on their relationship. Mr. Leeson had hoped that he could tame the wild partying courtesan and make an honest woman out of her. I mean, that would make sense because she has that breeding. Yeah, you know, like she, she has the she status. knows the manners. She knows, you know, she has an education. She's witty. She's gorgeous. Yeah. And this was actually why he had moved her to the country estate, because perhaps distancing her from the city and her like partying friends and other sex workers would help soothe her voracious appetite for the glitz and glam of the city. To Peg, however, this was just business. She's like, hey, this is great, but like, this is about making money for me. Okay, I need to support myself. It's it's interesting that she didn't view this as an opportunity to settle down and get married with someone that's wealthier. Well, I'll get into that a little that I think her motivations behind that are going to become very clear very soon. 
you know, and here's the thing. He's still paying her for sex. <laughs> like, true. like he's trying to kind of like pretty woman her and like kind of groom her into this like lady of the house. But he's still paying her. And I think she's a mistress for him. I don't know if he was married or what mm. or engaged or what his deal was. So after services were rendered, he she felt that she could go and do whatever the fuck she wanted, like go out with friends and have sex with other people, I don't right. know, whether for money or for pleasure, you know, because this is a business relationship. In a final attempt to tame the wild peg, Mr. Leeson proposed and basically gave her an ultimatum that it was either a monogamous marriage with him or she could hit the bricks. And she's like... I'm gone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, Peg wasn't having it. She later wrote, quote, I looked upon marriage merely as a human institution calculated chiefly to fix the legitimization of children and oblige parents to bring them up and provide for them. To ascertain the decent of property... To ascertain the descent of property and also to bind two persons together even if they might be disgusted and heartily tired of one another. So she's like, marriage is a business proposition and it is only meant to To legitimize children and to to give parents a stake in those children because they're legitimate and they're going to be the heirs. Even if the two people hate each other. And I'm not surprised she felt this way because for such a long time she was trying to get married to escape an abusive situation. She wasn't like hoping to fall in love. She was like, someone get me out of here. Get me the fuck out of here. And that's not the most romantic, you know, take. But for the time, marriage was anything but romantic. Peg had been royally screwed because she had always been forced to relinquish control over her own life based on the whims of the men around her. Whether it was her father, brother, or fiancés, boyfriends, whoever, she had always been at their mercy. Not anymore, motherfuckers. Right. She kindly told Mr. Leeson to take his proposal and shove it up his pee hole, and she moved on. Uh, Peg found a new wealthy client, a man named Buck Lawless. Ooh, uh, that name sounds familiar. We've had some books on the show before. Like Buck Lawless. Like that just sounds familiar. Yeah, he sucks though. I'm just going to tell everyone right now. Um, However, despite everything I just finished telling you about Mr. Leeson and how Peg was all business, she actually fell for Buck and the two were monogamous for a time. Um, I'm going to insert another quick trigger warning here for physical abuse against a pregnant woman. Like I said, guys, this gets rough. So I completely understand if you want to hit the eject button. I'll see you next time. Unfortunately, Buck was a controlling, abusive hemorrhoid who resented the fact that Peg was a courtesan. To compensate for his own insecurities. Like, what do you what do you think she is? I know. Like, then don't date her, you stupid motherfucker. So to compensate for his own insecurities, he'd openly flirt with other women to piss off Peg and to start arguments. So he's like poking the bear yeah eventually he became physically abusive and while peg was pregnant with his child he beat her so severely that that he caused peg to miscarry this reminds me so much of uh the other ruth ellis the british woman who murdered her boyfriend who also beat her to the point where she had a miscarriage peg does not kill buck everyone just take a moment to be really bummed out about that (laughs) remember abusive relationships are extremely complex and leaving is not easy in a physical or emotional sense 
Peg became pregnant again with Buck's baby, but Buck was running out of bucks, so he decided to try and strike it rich in America, leaving pregnant Peg behind. He promised to send back money and that he'd eventually return to, like, make it rain with his American wealth, blah, blah, blah. That never happened. This was basically Buck's version of going out for a pack of cigarettes and never, and never coming, coming back. back. Yeah. And honestly, she sounds better off without him. She She is to be quite honest. So Peg got back to work, even bagging a clergyman as a client. Like she had clergymen, lawyers, politicians, like the creme de la creme. She was that one that she had the little black book that if anyone ever got a hold of it, it would mean the end of a lot of careers. She literally does. And she literally whips it out. Oh, that's great. So being a courtesan isn't the most reliable profession, unfortunately. It's not like you're clocking in and out every day. That's the blackmail you're talking about. (laughs) Not yet. Uh, no, I didn't say the oh, little okay. black book. Yeah. I was connecting dots. <laughs> so Peg decided to parlay her experience into something that was a little more stable and consistent. She teamed up with her bestie, Sally Hayes, and they started a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> she and two Sally, years. <laughs> yes. Uh, just kidding. She and Sally opened a brothel. Yep. Fun fact, that was our plan B if this didn't work out. Yeah. Which it still might not. We'll still, see. Still on the cards. Who knows if we're going to make it to year three. Preschool. Shit starts to get real weird. (laughs) (laughs) So the pair set up shop in an upscale part of Dublin with the goal of making it as classy as possible. So they're they're like, they're running more for the escort business than they are for like a common. Yeah, this isn't the place that like the docksmen would go to for a quickie. This is like, because Peg has all these connections amongst Ireland and Dublin's elite. And she's like, they're the ones with the money. Let's get that fucking money. Right. Because these dudes love to fuck. <laughs> uh, so the women who worked there were handpicked by Peg and had to be able to carry on intelligent conversations. And so they'd be Bit educated of, in like politics. If not and, good breeding, good etiquette. Yep. Uh, they were also dressed in the latest elite fashions. Oh, so and clearly like clearly this is the first sorority. <laughs> this is the first sorority. Kelly was just, okay. In Kelly's latest Harsary Happenings, which is exclusive to her patrons, she talks about the history of sororities. There was a lot of, like, fisticuffs about, about who was the, the first. first. This is this the is first. The, yeah. <laughs> but Kelly was only talking about Mer- American sororities, so, you know, it's still a toss-up. First. <laughs> anyway, uh, the brothel was a big hit, and Peg and Sally were basically the courtesan queens of Dublin. So they basically became madams. Yeah. Or, at very least, became... Able to be significantly choosier about their clients. Yeah, like they were they were definitely madams. And even when people would try to slut shame Peg in the street, she held her head high and always had a witty comeback to their taunts. Peg became so flush with cash that she did what only someone with a buttload of money would even think of. She actually... What? <laughs> she got that wealthy wine cellar. No, that's like the first thing everyone thinks of. At least if you're me. So she actually hired a musician to follow her around and play music. This bitch. She literally constantly had a theme song. Had her own live walking soundtrack. That's fantastic. you got your like, jam. Something bad starts happening. <laughs> it reminds me of that episode of Family Guy where Peter wants his own soundtrack. He's like, riding on the bus, riding on the bus, riding on the bus. Right. <laughs> Only music. Yeah. Like, but you know what I mean? Like that really intense, like, like when it gets like Yeah, when really the guy intense, gets yeah. mad at the music, hey, hey man, Kutura, sorry, I don't really know how it works. And then he like grabs these about, punch yeah. him and the music gets really intense. 
that'd be great. Oh my god, it was just Sir Mix a Lot the whole time. Baby got back. Yeah, right. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> so in her free time, Peg could be found out in the clubs, looking glam while popping bottles and getting slizzard, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> but then Buck. Bolts for America Lawless came back on the scene. Oh, yeah, of course, because he probably heard she had money and was like, oh, I'm not making money here. I'm going home. Yeah. So he asked Peg to visit him in Cork. I just love that there's a Cork, Ireland. It makes me so happy. Uh, So Peg and Sally decided to go and basically partied up in Cork for a month. Spending bucks money. I'm glad that she fucking brought her BFF with her. I, I like it's this big vacation so they're going to cork and they're spending his money right. on she's like i don't want anything to do with and him clothes and doing their thing um unfortunately this was didn't end up just being revenge spending peg and buck reignited their relationship again and peg once again became pregnant with buck's child abusive relationships are complicated It's hard to leave and it's very, it becomes very easy to get drawn back in. Exactly. Because they probably, especially when it's been this long, they promise that they've changed. They've promised, you know, like I won't do that again. Especially this, you know, he's like, oh, I went to a different country. Like I've changed. I've learned things. You know, how easy would it be to convince her to come back? Yeah. So if things couldn't get more complicated, a gang of ruffians called the Pin King Dindies. You know, it was fine until the last <laughs> word. <laughs> Pin King Dindies. God damn it. They're they're straight up goddamn monsters, but that name is just something else. They are hemorrhoids. Uh, that was actually Irish slang for hemorrhoids back then. Yeah, Pin King Dindies. If it wasn't, it should be now. Or at least Dindies. <laughs> yeah. So these were all students at Trinity College, and they broke into Peg's house, destroyed the place, and beat Peg like unconscious. No, I think this was just like her house. I, mean, I don't think way, she lived in the brothel. Um, well, they beat her unconscious. And remember, Peg is pregnant and Aww. she has a two-year-old daughter living with her who watched in oh, horror. Oh, this is the Buck's other kid? She, I did not keep track of her children. She has several children throughout the course of her life, not all of whom survive. Okay. Um, I this story was already pretty long, so I didn't focus on them. They kind of pop in and out when relevant. Yeah. Um. Unfortunately, they become relevant when I whenever something like really terrible happens. Yeah, of course. So her two year old daughter watched yeah, wh- on on ho- in horror as her mother was beaten. Again, the beating caused Peg to suffer. Of a course. Miscarriage. Her two year old daughter also died. Peg claimed it was from shock. Who the fuck knows? That's horrifying. I mean, who knows? Maybe they beat the kid too. I know. Like, like I, I feel like if they did, Peg would have been like, "Yeah, they murdered my child." But I, I don't know. She's two years old. This is also a time where children are not. I mean, you uh, very can, strong, you and they can, can just go die. into shock and die. Yeah. That's why, like, when there's traumatic events, like avalanches and stuff, like they they monitor you so you don't go into shock. Yeah. So truly, just. It, it, it's just this, like, shit show. That's what we're going to go with. It's a shit show. Yeah, it's just tragedy compounding on tragedy compounding on tragedy. So Peg would not let this violence go unpunished. Good. Damn right she wouldn't. And I can only imagine, like, at this time she's got enough money and influence to probably find some burly bastards to find the guys who committed Especially this horrible attack little black and book, beat them like, senseless. Yeah. yeah. But instead... She filed a suit against them. She went legal. She's now, like, you know what? I could have you killed. 
<laughs> I want everyone to know what you've done. Yeah, I'm going to publicly eviscerate you in the legal system. But let's unpack this situation for a moment, shall we? An infamous courtesan, who many called a whore in public to her face, a fallen woman, was fighting against a group of respectable college men. And they were all stellar swimmers, by the way. Want to hear their swim times? I was waiting for that God reference. I was it. like, I know it's coming. I know. Because that's the reference I want to make. So not only were her chances in court slim due to her profession and her reputation, but the men also were threatening to kill her if she didn't back off. She refused and casually mentioned that she carried a pistol with her at all times and really had no problem using it should any of them come near her. It's the whole, I've been to jail. I don't mind going back. <laughs> I have friends on the inside. What do you got? I just imagine they're like, we'll fucking kill you. As they're like giving their big tough speech, she just takes out her gun, starts polishing. And she's like, what was uh-huh. that, buddy? Yeah. What was that, stupid motherfucker? <laughs> right? Like, I've been through shit. Yeah. You're some pampered ass hemorrhoid that probably doesn't know shit. Yeah, that thought you could terrorize me because you're a bunch of little sociopaths. Anyway, against all odds. Peg won her court case, was awarded financial compensation. I don't know how much. I just hope it was, like, entirely appropriate. Uh, And her attackers were banished from Dublin. And that's what I call driving the snakes out of Ireland. That's what St. Patrick should have done. But he was like, no, not these druids. Get out. (laughs) So this victory couldn't erase a lifetime of trauma. Throughout her life, Peg had lost children, had been beaten, and had been terrorized. And this may be part of how Buck seriously get the fuck out of this story. Lawless was un- was able to lure Peg to London where he had moved for some Ugh. reason. Don't ask. Unsurprisingly, the relationship didn't work out. And now Peg was trying to make a life for herself in London. And I believe that this is the last time we hear of Buck. Good riddance. Get the fuck out of our stories. Right. Just go away, Buck. So I... When I when I first read this, I was like, ooh, London, this is like the perfect place for her. But it didn't work out, partly because she pissed off the prince regent by daring to ride next to him on the street and ordering some waistcoats that he wore for her shoemaker. So her her like lowly shoemaker was now wearing the same waistcoats as the prince regent. And that was like this big societal fuck you. It was like a status shade. Right. <laughs> and I have to say, like 18th century shade is so delicious. It was so easy to be a sass back then. You didn't even have to try. So having kind of burned the London Bridge, Peg returned to Dublin and met back up with her bestie and business partner, Sally Hayes. They were also joined by another baddest babe, Mall Hall, great name, and the three picked back up with living their best lives. But being the most famous courtesan in Ireland meant Peg was a target. Hotshot musician Signor Carnivali was performing in Dublin, but he had expressly forbade any women like Peg... From attending his shows, because God forbid that riffraff comes and sullies his performance. Fuck him. And Peg also shared that sentiment and said, fuck that, and tried to attend anyway. She bought her ticket. She showed up for the show. But she was a pretty recognizable figure and was quickly kicked out. Jeez. Peg, again, would not stand for this disrespect. She went back to the theater, accompanied by four bailiffs, with a warrant for his arrest in hand. See, Carnivali had kicked Peg out, despite the fact that she had paid for a ticket. She could legally go to this show, and that's illegal. And the bailiffs actually carted Carnivali off. And I was so impressed by this, because I, I was shocked that they weren't just be like... 
uh, you're a whore and you're a slut and we don't right. want anything like fuck you and your feelings. But they were like, no. And honestly, they were probably like, no, we love her. She's so good at sex. Right. <laughs> like maybe they were clients. Now, as if Peg couldn't be any more of a goddamn queen. After Carnivale's arrest, she entered the theater where his audience was waiting for him. And Peg got up on the stage and apologized for their wait and explained that the musician wouldn't be able to make the show because she had sent him to prison for being a douche canoe. <laughs> so, like, the guy gets carted off before a show and then she gets up there and she's like, sorry, guys, I sent him to pre- prison for being a hemorrhoid. Right. Okay, thanks, bye. Okay, thanks, bye. <laughs> By the way, come check out my brothel. There's some cool shit going on there. Right. I You'll see love you. it. You'll love it. I see you. I know you. <laughs> so the story actually made the news and gave Peg a ton of free publicity and business was now booming and the brothel was serving the creme de la creme of Ireland's elite. And this earned Peg the title as the reigning vice queen, which is mwah. I right? love That's it. That's fantastic. She also got married to a baron's son simply because she wanted the title of the right honorable and because his family was rolling in dough. She wasn't actually a fan of the dude, though. And uh, when her husband's father offered her a buttload of cash to dissolve the marriage, she was more than happy to do so. In retrospect, Peg wasn't super proud of this. Like, it was unnecessary and kind of mean. But part of it was probably her lashing out at the institution of marriage, which had always been weaponized against her, either as a trap or her only means of freedom. But she was settling in nicely to her role as the reigning vice queen and really didn't give a shit anymore. Then, after 30 years in business, Peg decided it was time to hang up her corset and retire. Peg had let many men pay in the form of IOUs, and once all of those were paid, she knew she'd have enough money to last her through retirement. And we've talked a lot about how she spends lavishly, so she doesn't really have a lot of savings. She kind of, like, makes it yeah. and breaks it. Um. Yeah, so nights of partying and musicians following you around don't come cheap, and she was bleeding money. Unsurprisingly... No one paid their IOUs. (laughs) And to make up for this, Peg once again took charge and decided to write her memoirs. So she had lived a life that was unimaginable for the time. The book would basically sell itself. And this came with an added bonus. Here comes that little blackmail book that we were talking about. She casually mentioned to some of her most notable clients that she would use their real names in her memoirs. Unless, of course, they came correct on their IOUs. They did. Peg wrote three memoirs. Apparently, she is responsible for the first foot fetish expose of the 18th century in her memoirs. Uh, And they were all hits. But by the time the third was released in 1797, Peg had died. I don't know how or where she's buried. That sucks because I want to go and like, I don't know, rain some bubbly on her grave or something because what a fascinating, lively figure she was. So Peg doesn't have statues or streets named after her, but her story of perseverance, bucking societal ideas of what a woman should be, and truly insane drama is still captivating. I was actually able to find a recent edition of Peg's memoirs online, and I'll link to it in our social media. Uh, But also in 2016, Julie Peekman wrote Peg Plunkett, Memoirs of a Whore. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I really want to read. It looks it looks really interesting. And I, I want to read it because 
Peg's memoirs are definitely from the horse's mouth, but she kind of gets to pick and choose what's in there, what's not, what she shares. And I'd be really interested to have that and also kind of like an outsider looking in more critically and what her life was like. So I want to end this with a quote from Peg's memoir, which I feel uh, were the questions that she constantly asked with the way she lived her life. Quote, Chastity, I willingly acknowledge, is one of the characteristic virtues of the female sex. But I may be allowed to ask, is it the only one? Can the presence of that one render all others of no avail? Or can the absence of it make a woman totally incapable of of possessing one single good quality? And in that quote, she goes on to basically be like, oh, you know... A woman could drink or be evil or cruel, but as long as she has her chastity, I guess that's okay. So she's questioning this heft that we put on the value of chastity being like this virtue of women. And why is that the only thing that we measure a woman's worth by? And that is the story of Peg Plunkett. That's amazing. It was I so wild. Her. Yeah, like that's a fucking roller coaster. It was so much fun to write. It was a little, you know, some of our stories follow a really clean, neat narrative. Hers certainly I kind of like the ones that don't, though. I hope I told it in a way that was like easy to keep track of and kept people hanging on. But yeah, she was she was absolutely insane. I just I just love that she was like, I'll name all of you if you don't pay me. Yeah, but that's why it's, you know, Mr. Leeson, Mr. Durden, Mr. Yeah. Whatever, because she didn't name them. That's awesome. I really wish she could have got written more than just the three. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The first foot fetish conference. Goddamn. I don't like feet, but that's just interesting. I'm not a foot person, but like... I know people are, though. Like, it's a thing. I also like, understand... You can just send pictures of your feet to people and make money i've actually thought about doing that i I actually i actually did some foot modeling (laughs) in the past few years so it pays pretty well but the guy i was working with um creepy creep creep you know he never did anything explicit but i just got a weird vibe and ladies always trust your gut so i i decided not to do it anymore so yeah kelly who are you regaling us with today So I am covering a woman simply known as Amina. Okay. Amina. Which is a very pretty name. It's funny because you texted me to see if I had covered her. There's something later in the story that I'm like, that sounds vaguely familiar. And because you just sent Amina, I was like, is that short for something? Is that an ad? Like, I was trying to rack my brain. And I was like, Emily, you pretty much remember everyone you've covered you you haven't <laughs> right and like i'm pretty good at remembering like who, i know who i've covered and yeah. i'm pretty decent at remembering who you've covered but yeah there was like one section toward the end as i was doing my research that i'm like that sounds vaguely familiar <laughs> like shit it's always toward the end of my research that i'm like wait a minute <laughs> oh my god at least we have never covered the same woman without there being some kind of plan b there was that one time where, yeah, I, where covered... I was covering three women and yeah, you were covering yeah. one of them so i was like i'll just take her out yeah <laughs> yeah that was great that was our transgender episode yeah three trans trailblazers yeah okay so amina she was born in the middle of the 16th century most likely around 1533 but i've seen it as late as 1565 like you know, it's far enough back that they're just like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't even know when my lady was born. Right. That was the 1700s. So she was born to King 
Nikatu, who is the 22nd ruler of... Okay, so I looked up the pronunciation of this, and it was pronounced two different ways. So it was either pronounced Zaza or Zazu. And I'm going to go with Zaza because it's Z-A-Z-Z-A-U. Yeah, it's like more like Zazu's the guy from Lion King. So I'm going to go Zaza. Anyway, so... Wait, where is this? Modern day Nigeria. Oh, okay, okay. I'm like, this was a province of what is modern day Nigeria. I'm like, I need to orient myself. (laughs) Africa. Cool. We're in Africa. (laughs) Well, that doesn't help. That place is fucking huge. (laughs) You know where Nigeria is? Yes. Are you sure? No, (laughs) but I'm, this isn't a test. So, okay, (laughs) so you know how Africa is kind of like a backwards P? I always imagine it as like an elephant. It's it's half of an elephant because it's the ear and then the trunk. Okay, so that's how I always like, knew it was Africa. Kind of what, what would be like the ear to the trunk? It's like in it's that region, northwestern Africa. Okay, so Africa's kind of like this. Well, now it's backwards for me. <laughs> now it's a regular P. <laughs> so it's like here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's Western Africa. Yep. Wait, Kelly, hold up your hands. Nope. <laughs> Which one is the L? <laughs> Shut up, Emily. <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't throw shade. It's not like I know the geography in the countries of Africa any better than right? Kelly. So yeah, so that was I don't think it was Nigeria at the time, but it's a province in what is modern day Nigeria. Nigeria. Nigeria, yes. Like I said, her father was King Nakatao and uh her mother was Queen Bakwa Turunku. I like Bakwa. Yeah, I, know, I, I do love too. that. Um she had an older brother. She had at very least an older brother and a younger sister named Zaria. Oh, that's pretty. Right. I like that. Her history is like a mix of oral legends and some written history because it's so long ago. So it's it's an interesting grouping. So according to oral legends that were gathered by an anthropologist named David Jones, Amina grew up in her grandfather's court and was favored by him. So her dad was the prince at the time. Then? Apparently. Okay. He carried her, apparently her grandfather would carry her around court and would instruct her carefully in political and military matters. That's so cute. She grew up obviously surrounded by wealth as her family traded, well, one, you know, I'm assuming this was pre her father being king, Mm -hmm. Um, but her family traded in imported metals, cloth, cola, salt, and horses. She spent a lot of her time improving her fighting skills and her military skills with the Zaza cavalry in particular. I'm just imagining the cutest little girl standing with all these soldiers and she's got like her little toy sword and she's like, let's fight. Right? And she she's kicks like, me on a horse, <laughs> bitches. <laughs> she's like, uppies, I right? want on horsey. <laughs> exactly. And she rides in the battle. <laughs> so at the age of 16, um, her father at this point was king. Uh, Amina was named Magiaha, which is heir apparent. Oh, that's cool. Right. That she could inherit the throne. Right. Something else comes up, though, and I find it very interesting. Um, But so she was named heir apparent and was given 40 female slaves, which is just apparently a thing. Yep. Gross. Slavery is garbage. So during this whole time up and like for basically from very young, Amina had a great number of suitors attempt to marry her. Different attempts included a daily offer of 10 slaves from a guy named Makama and 50 male slaves and 50 female slaves, as well as 50 bags of white and blue cloth from Amir of Kano, which is a different, same, same region, Amir means different. Like king. Yep. Yeah. 
So same general Nigeria region, different province. So after the death of her parents in 1566, even though she was heir apparent, her brother still became the king. Boo. Not sure why. He became king and um, at this point, though, she was really distinguishing herself as being a really good warrior. So basically, she he became king and she became the leader of his cavalry. Oh, so she's like the general. Yeah. So she's Here doing comes the general. Well. Yeah, exactly. What's up? <laughs> so she she's really gaining notoriety for her military skills. And actually, there there's a song, uh, Zaza and the other regions of what is Nigeria are known as the regions of Hausa, H-A-U-S-A. Okay. There's like seven different provinces and it's like they all stem from like one kingdom or something. I didn't dive too deep into okay, it. Okay, so there, there's a bunch of different like little kingdoms, but they're all collectively known as Hausa. Yeah, the seven okay. regions of Hausa. But so she's still celebrated today in traditional Hausa praise songs. And this is what it says, quote, Amina, daughter of Nikatu, a woman as capable as a man that was able to lead men to war. I'm loving her. I know. So her brother died about 10 years after taking the throne. Okay. And he had no heir. So she became heir. Cool. You know. So she took 10 years. Yeah. (laughs) She ascended to the position of queen. So she is now queen of Zaza. Don't lay when dim your crown, girl. So like I mentioned, Zaza is one of the original seven house estates, which is all like within Nigeria, essentially. Before Amina assumed the throne, Zaza was one of the largest of these seven states, and it was also the primary source of slaves that were sold at the slave markets in other states by Arab merchants. I hate how slave-heavy this episode is. Jesus. Like, I I know, but it is what it is. I'm sorry. I I keep wanting to say slavery pisses me off, but that seems like such a stupid, (laughs) obvious thing to say, but I'm just like, God damn it. So only three months after being crowned queen, Amina started a war that would last 34 years. Oh, no. Amina. Which was her entire reign. Girl, (laughs) what are you doing? Um, Why? So she waged wars against her neighbors, so the other seven city-states of Hausa, to expand her territory, even though she was one of the largest ones already. Yeah, she's like, but I want to be the largest. all of it. All of it. (laughs) So her army consisted of 20,000 foot soldiers and 1,000 cavalry troops, which is interesting, like... Especially since she led cavalry, like I thought that she'd have more cavalry. I don't well, know why. Well, because cavalry, cavalry so rides to, horses. Yeah, so you have to have so all foot the soldiers. Usually have more of them, and they're a little. They're probably less skilled. Maybe a tad more expendable. Probably at this time. So yeah, all of her troops, both cavalry and foot soldiers, were well trained and fearsome. In fact, one of her first announcements to her people when she. Uh, ascended to being queen was a call for them to re-sharpen their weapons. I love it. So I'm about to use a bunch of words that are going to make no sense to anyone. All right. So she would go on to conquer large tracts of land um, as far as places known as Quara Rafa and Nupe, which when I was looking at a map, I actually couldn't find which is interesting like because i was looking at a map of like her conquests and i was like uh you say these things and i don't see them on the map but they're all within like the her region you know you keep she's saying kind of, these things but i do not think you know where they are <laughs> she's basically conquering that like 
chunk of Africa right above yeah. the the backwards P. Right, right, right. Getting into the ear canal yeah, there. She's getting into getting the ear in the canal. Ear canal. <laughs> um, so legends say that she took a new lover in every town she went through, each of whom was said to meet the same unfortunate fate in the morning. And I'm like, I swear I've heard this before. Oh, she's a black widow. Her br- This is what it says. Quote. Her brief bridegroom was beheaded so that none should live to tell the tale. And I'm pretty sure we've talked about someone before. I think it was a guy and like the woman ended up like killing him instead. But I don't know. But yeah, so the legend is that she would take a lover and then just kill them in the morning. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of uh, we haven't talked about her, I don't think, but Scheherazade. And like a thousand Arabian nights or whatever, because the whole deal was that he would kill her in the morning. But then she She told him, yeah, she told him a story after story after story. It was like stories within a stories. And she told him so many stories that she, one, kept him hanging on. But two, by the time she finished, he was like, we cool. And yeah, then I guess, I guess kill her. I won't kill you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that was apparently a thing. That's not really something that they can like keep track of. But so that they, they call it a legend. But I'm gonna go with yeah, that's her story. Oh my god! <laughs> like I'm 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 trying not to be super judgy because this is also like I I feel like the times like a lot of rulers were kind of pulling this shit. Right. Like yeah, I mean she could she could do this as good as any man because that's what they were also doing. Right, exactly. <laughs> I feel like that was like half of it. She was like, guys do this. Why can't I? Yeah, I, it's it makes me feel like she really didn't see a difference between her and them, and just well, like and they, they talk about that. That oh, sorry, I cut you off. No, no, no. no. I that that's pretty much why I was gonna say she was just like, this is what I do. This is what you do. This is what we all do. Yeah, no, and they they talk about that that at this time because this was pre-British rule of Africa that at that time there really was no difference between men and women because they didn't it was still so tribal in most of those areas that everyone just kind of shared responsibility. It wasn't really until the British occupation that there really became a super distinct difference. Goddamn colonization! Right? Um, so under Amina Zaza controlled more territory than ever before. Like, she was really good at waging war. Yeah. And to mark and protect these new lands and cities that she was gaining, Amina had her cities surrounded by earthen walls. These walls became commonplace across the region and the nation until the British conquered them later. Um, and But many of them actually still survive today. Like, not really? as many as there were, but some of them are still around today. And they're known as Ganuwar Amina or Amina's Walls. Oh, my God. That's amazing. So the next chunk is literally just death. <laughs> so I was like, they don't have, I have more after her death, but like death is where I was, you know? And so the interesting thing about her is, so she had a 34 year reign and she was, I guess they never say exactly how old she was when she took the throne, but I'm assuming she was probably in her fifties when she died, which I think back then is actually pretty decent. Yeah, especially because she's going to war like for 30 years <laughs> So the weird thing is the exact circumstances or even where she died is not 100% known. A Muslim scholar named Dan, Dan Taffa said that she died in a, pl- a place named Adagar, like basically while she was out campaigning and that, you know, if she died in Adagar, that would make Zaza the most extensive kingdoms in all of Hausa. And then another scholar said that, yeah, she died in... This person, this scholar called it Adagara instead of Adagar. I don't know. Which is near present day Ida, which I don't know where that is either. <laughs> Come at us, Ida. Come at us, Ida. Uh, I think it's close. Like, so Zaza was a little bit 
up from like the ocean and I I think it's closer to the ocean. Okay, so it's south. I think Ida is closer to the ocean, but I don't know. So it says, for at the time, Amina had pushed the frontiers of Zaza south of the Niger-Benu confluence. I don't know what that is. <laughs> there are many contradictions surrounding her deaths. Um, some other books cite that she died in Vamjas, which is just a different city, while most seem to agree that she died in Atagara or I- present-day Ida. But no one says how she died. I assume it was in battle. I was going to say, but... I like to think she went down swinging on a horse. Yes, that's, that's my Definitely like my envision is that she's just like riding into battle and yeah, you know, she gets, I don't know, hit with an arrow or something. Anyways, so legacy. So one British historian, because, you know, Britain eventually. I was going to say everyone Africa. telling these stories like <laughs> noted after Amina's death, the ruling class of household women experienced a steady diminution diminution of their influence and were systematically deprived of their authority and autonomy. So basically like. After she was queen, things went downhill. Not right away again. Like, a lot of this didn't happen until the British came into the picture. Unfortunately, a lot of traditional titles and offices relating to the authority over women and uh, the redress of their grievances have now become nominal or discarded altogether. Boo. Yep. And although Amina's success as a ruler did not have a trickle-down effect on her female successors, you know what I mean? Like, she, she wasn't... No one really, like, followed up as well as she did. Yeah. Uh, Amina has enjoyed a lasting reputation in the area. Like, so obviously we've never heard of her, but th- she's still pretty well known in Nigeria. She's like a hometown hero. Yeah. yeah. She's basically bordering on a legend. Like, there's a lot of blur between, like, okay, what is fact and what is, you know, yeah, just because a, a lot of that tradition is oral. So, like, yeah. you know, what's been embellished and, you know, isn't exactly real. It's like the, uh, the Panther Queen, who I talked about in a previous episode, a lot of that's, story has been passed down orally and it's like okay where is the nugget of truth amongst the legends and, and the mythos like, is, it, and is it true like at least with Amina like there are we know accounts she, of we have her walls exactly <laughs> and they're stunning they like <laughs> they painted are. one it's really gorgeous Sultan Bello of Sakota, which is just another area wrote quote strange things have happened in the history of the seven house estates and most strange of these is the extent of the possessions which God gave Aminatu, which is just another version of Amina, daughter of the ruler of Zaza. She waged war in the Hausa lands and took them all so that the men of Katsina and the men of Kano brought her tribute. She made war in Bauchi and against the other towns of the south and the west so that her possessions stretched down to the shores of the sea. By the way, I looked it up. The uh, the Niger-Benu confluence looks like to be where the river Niger and the river Benu meet and form one river yes (laughs) well it's weird i can find all these pictures of the rivers and them joining but i can't find like a zoomed out version of like okay where is this in the larger portion Uh, let's see if the picture i was looking at before has it but it sounds like it was just like that whole that whole region yeah they don't list they don't label the rivers on my the map i have thanks thanks maps well, Google Maps it's like a, it's like an old my, the one I have is like an older map like spo- like looking at that territory yeah so b- beyond her expansion of the Zaza territory she created a lot of trade routes throughout northern Africa and remember she's kind of like mid Africa um, additionally she has been besides the credit with the earthen walls she's also been given credit to introducing koala nut cultivation in the area koala nut yep, there's a thing called a koala nut Oh my god, is it as cute as koalas? 
You I mean love the koalas. Syphilis ridden. But they're so cute. They Just really don't have are. sex with them. I mean, look, yeah, it's pretty pretty. It's a nut. <laughs> um, well, like it's what cola comes from. Oh, well, you said earlier they traded in cola. Yeah, I don't know why I called it. It's for some reason in the one notes it was called koala, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's supposed to be cola. Oh my god, I love the idea that someone like mistyped cola nut into koala nut. Yeah, and it might have like, been me. I guess it it's might awesome. have been me. <laughs> oh my god, I want a drawing of a koala nut so badly. <laughs> someone get on that. Oh um, my god. But yeah, so like while they were trading in cola, it sounds like she was really credited for like making cultivation of it and like farming of it a really big thing that's cool so we're gonna I I get into some historical references and like kind of where some of the stuff about her is mentioned so the earliest source or one of the earliest sources to uh, mention Amina is actually a map that they found called the planisphere of Domingos Tiexiera which was made in 1573 (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, And it names a place in Africa, kind of in that region we're talking about, the Nigerian region, as Castello de Amina or the Castle of Amina. So that's like... Oh, my God. She had a castle? I I mean, I don't know why I'm surprised. There was just no mention of a castle. Right. Yeah, I just kind of envisioned she just was like a a roaming war goddess. Yeah, Um, like she never settled down. She was always fighting or murdering or sleeping with someone and then immediately murdering them. So that was like the first reference of her. One of the earliest text sources to mention her is Muhammad Bello's, like a history book he wrote, which Mm -hmm. was fully composed around 1836. So this would have been kind of definitely after her, but... Not too far. Well, Mm -hmm. I guess like 300 years, but whatever. Um, But he claims that she was the first to establish a true government among the Hausa people um, and that she forced Katsino, Kano, and other regions to pay her tribute, which I already mentioned, which I just love. Especially since one of them, I think Kano was the one that mentioned was like their king tried to marry her. Now he's paying her tribute, which I fucking love. Um, However... This history doesn't really give any chronological details about her. So, like, yes, she's mentioned. We know she existed, but there, you know, no one really knows where she came from kind of a thing. Yeah. She's also mentioned in the the Kano Chronicle, which is one of the cities that was paying her tribute. Yeah. Which is the Kano Chronicle is actually a super well-regarded and detailed history of that city. It wasn't composed until the late 19th century, but it incorporated a lot of um, documentary material that they found from earlier times. So it's really interesting, right? Um, According to this chronicle, she was a contemporary of Muhammad Dauda. So she ruled at the same time as that person Mm -hmm. who ruled from 1421 to 1438. And Amina conquered as far as Nupe and Kwarafa, collected tribute from far and wide, and ruled for 34 years. A number of scholars accept this information and date her reign to the early to mid-15th century. Okay. I think it's kind of like a, okay, we know this is a really good reference material for the time, so a lot of scholars are like, yeah, let's just go with that. Yeah. So there is also a chronicle of Zaria, which Zaria is her little sister. And that's also a city. And it's a city. In Nigeria. Named after her sister. I looked up a map so I know where I am. And I'm like, oh, Kano, that's just north of Zaria. <laughs> yeah, no, Z- Zaria is uh, named for her sister. That's amazing. 
I know her sister. I I haven't looked into what her sister did, but I'm like, if she got a city named after her, it must have been something. So yeah, like, like um. But so there's a Chronicle of Zarya, which was written again largely in the 19th century, that gives a list of rulers and the duration of their reigns. Amina is not mentioned specifically, but the oral tradition puts her as the daughter of Bakwa Turunku, which I mentioned, mm-hmm. whose reign is dated in the Chronicle from 1492 to 1522. Wait, isn't that her mother's name? Yes. Oh, so her... Oh, okay. Like, they're saying her mother ruling as queen? Yep. Oh, okay. I thought, like, maybe, like, she was, like... The only for a minute. There. No, no, okay. no, no, no. Okay, I, I gotcha. So yeah, they they have her mother's reign in there, and on the ba- this the basis of when they have the mom's reign, they are estimating because you got to remember her brother ruled after her for and, like ten years. Well, and you know just because her mom only ruled till fifteen twenty two, that doesn't mean her dad didn't rule. Like you know, so a lot of people estimate her reign began in the late sixteen hundreds. Okay. So like 1576, 75, somewhere in there, which is interesting because that's 100 years after the other one, which is also widely accepted. So her when she, like the fact that she ruled is not contested when she ruled is a little iffy. Yeah. So there are actually still modern culture depictions of her um, in Nigeria. So there's the Queen Amina statue at the National Arts Theater in Lagos State, which is actually really pretty. Uh, Amina is the protagonist of the historical fan- fantasy novel named Queen of Zazu or Zaza, uh, which was written only in 2018. Oh, that's cool. Right. Um, and this is based on her life and it begins in 1557. Amina is the inspiration for the character known as Malika in the graphic novel Malika Warrior Queen. Oh, my God. Googling right now. So this was that came out in 2017 by Roy Okupe and uh, Roy actually states in the coloring book, which was also created by him or her, I guess I didn't look up, them, that it is based on Amina. Oh, this looks cool. Doesn't it? It also looks like there's maybe a, a show or a movie lo- that's like CG. I know. I saw that. Like, it looks like someone, I don't know, if like on YouTube just turned it into like a thing. I don't know. Anyways. Oh, that's fucking cool. In the fifth episode of Small Axe Films by Steve McQueen, 12-year-old Kingsley Smith triumphantly reads aloud the story of Amina to his family after learning how to read. Aww. Which I think is cute. There's a there's actually been a lot more recent oral traditions involving her that involve a lot more like lively stories. And again, it, it might be people embellishing, but they've found their way into popular culture a lot. So a lot of the oral traditions that you still hear are that Amina was a fierce warrior and loved fighting. As a child, her grandmother, Marka, who was the favorite wife of her grandfather, once caught her holding a dagger. And the thing that was shocking to Marka was not that she was holding a dagger, but rather that she was holding it exactly as a warrior would. (laughs) No, babies pick up knives all the time, but do they pick them up correctly? (laughs) Right. So, and one thing we're pretty sure of, but it's still technically only part of oral tradition, is that she refused to marry for fear of losing power. But she did help her her nation, Zaza, become the center of trade to gain more land. And she ruled for 34 years. That is so cool. They do estimate that she was 36, actually, when her mom died. So that would make her 70 when she finished ruling. Damn. That, that seems old. Like, that seems yeah. real old. That's why she died in battle. She's like, oh, my fucking arthritis, yeah, man. Right? This sucks. <laughs> so that, so that, that's Amina. What a cool story. Right. 
That's amazing. Mina and her koala nuts. <laughs> God damn it. I love, I love that we got to cover two very different women who just kind of took control of their own lives. Right. And did the damn things. Right. In two very different ways. Yeah. Which is fine. That is really so cool. What's kind of cool is that the statue I mentioned that's in Lagos is mm-hmm. so it's her on like a rearing horse with like a spear in her hand. Just Google Queen Amina statue. It's funny because I Googled Amina's walls before to see it and that picture showed up. But That's when funny. I just Google Amina Queen, it does not. Actually, it might, be, it might be a, a sword. I can't quite tell. But yeah, she's like on a rearing horse. It's really pretty. You can tell it's been there That's for a while. That's fucking cool. Oh, she's really decked out. Her and the right? horse are like really ornate. Like, That's if, amazing. I, a lot of the pictures, yeah, you see of her are in full like turban and like, yep. she, like they're very neat depictions. That's so cool. Well, thank you for sharing that story with us. You're welcome. I'm I'm very happy. I think this was a good two-year episode. I do, too. It was, like, really exciting. There were a lot of I twists and turns. when you Google Amina's walls, the first one that pops up is, like, fully fucking painted Th- That's what I said. Out. I was like, oh, they painted it. It's gorgeous. <laughs> some of them aren't. Like, some of them are still just plain earthen walls. But, yeah, it's nice to see that, like, a lot of the ones that are still standing, like, yeah, they really fucking decked it out. Well, they're like, don't tear this shit down, you guys. Knock it off. <laughs> God damn it, British people. <laughs> God, no, seriously, it's like that line in Pocahontas, these white men are dangerous. <laughs> it's like, right? welcome to history 101, everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my goodness. So, Kelly, what are you thankful for? This week, I'm really thankful for my husband. Like, we both got really sick this week because we got the second dose of our vaccine, which is going to be nice, but it sucked to be sick. But uh, my birthday's coming up, and he was just like, oh, you know, I, I want to buy you a birthday present. And the thing he's buying me... Um, is actually gonna really help our podcast. Is he's buying me like a a new a new magic box, as it were, <laughs> a fancier magic, bigger box. and blacker than ever. Yeah, right? <laughs> actually, bigger and more colorful. It's the than ever. bigger, blacker rainbow box. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but it was really cute because like when he was telling me about it, he was just like, "I I really want to support you and your podcast and everything you do." And I like started tearing up. So I just I'm really. Like, I know he doesn't necessarily listen to our podcast, and I'm actually totally fine with that. Like, it's it's not up his alley, which is fine. He's a tech guy. Like, that's, and, you know, if we had a tech podcast, I'm sure he would listen to it, actually, probably not. He's not a podcast guy. I was going to say, Jared doesn't listen to the podcast either, but that's because I'm, like, doing my research, and I'm like, Jared, Jared, right? let me exactly. tell you a story. <laughs> um, but, like, so it was just, it was just, you know... At the end of a week of feeling, because it literally like happened today. So at the end of a week of feeling like shitty, it was just like really like out of nowhere, very sweet. So I'm thankful for my husband. What are you thankful for? Well, I'm thankful that we've been able to stick to this for two fucking years. That's that's wild to me. Hopefully two more years. And then we're done. Yeah. Call it quits. Four years, we're done. Yeah. March It's like like high school. March 8th, 2023, we're done. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm thankful that I went to my first psych appointment and I'm I'm so proud of you. So far, the 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 med I'm on, I'm not having any negative effects. That's kind of like I used to be on uh mental health meds when I was in high school, and trying to get the right balance of different meds was a fucking nightmare. I did end up in the ER a couple times. So I'm I'm just like you know, kind of that cautious optimism right now. So that's good. I'm also really thankful. Uh, speaking of significant others, last Friday, I took the day off and last week was hellish. 
I was really struggling. Yeah. It was not a good time for me. And I had scheduled to take Friday off because I wanted to go to the zoo for my birthday. So Jared and I went up to the Minnesota I got Zoo. So many lovely videos. From I was that. I fucking I was loved it. Spam Snapchatting everything. Uh, to Kelly and multiple other people. I was like, it I don't care. So happy. I don't care if you're mad. This is so cute. Look at this animal. It's so fuzzy yeah. and squirrely and I love it. But uh, we went on a Friday because, you know, it's obviously the school year. So there shouldn't be a lot of people there. And with Jared's PTSD, avoiding crowds like is COVID. a must. Well, and because of COVID, you know, you schedule a time. You can only be there for oh, two really? hours. So they're controlling, you know, the amount of people. There was like no one there. That's it awesome. was still amazing. Cold. It was actually a beautiful day. We got very lucky, and like, so we're walking I around outside. To, maybe and he just wants to go to the zoo for my birthday. That sounds fun. You should. It's amazing. But so the animals seemed really lively. Like one yeah, they got did. right there. Were, there was a those a wild monkeys boar. were like fucking tackling each yeah. other. Yeah, but there was a like a wild boar that got like right up against the fence and was like sniffing us, and I was like, "What's up?" No, I'm <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> um, I took a selfie with a grizzly bear yeah like was it was sweet. it was curled up in its little like uh den yeah, area you can get, like right next to him yeah because you can get up against the glass it was up against the glass i was just like there was a penguin that was swimming in the water and following me along the glass. So I so love cool. penguins. And I know you like do. that was like the second video I got and that just like made my entire day. I'm like, Emily sent me a video of a penguin. But so we went to the zoo and then we got like an early dinner at uh, the spot downtown. And the place we went to when Jared was overseas, he had always kind of fantasized about going there and getting this one specific table because it's in the corner against a window and you can kind of like see the streets and everything. Ooh, pretty. Because because it was the table you got that was the table we got the place was dead because it was like mm -hmm. you know mid-afternoon on a yeah. friday everyone's still you know working what restaurant is it uh newts oh yeah yeah so there's like like a little... the downtown one yeah. yeah yeah and so the drive up there there were no incidents at the zoo it was perfect and amazing dinner perfectly amazing like we went home and relaxed it was just like the perfect and we had day already recorded so you had like a yeah. pretty chill weekend good it was it was just it was so good and because especially with jared's ptsd like things don't there's no work there's no like guarantee that. that you know right it's like and the it's best laid fault. plans it's just it's it not is his what fault. it is i'm not mad but you know it's it's rough when you kind of can't let your guard down and enjoy something because you never know if something's going to trigger a panic attack or an episode if we have to hit the eject button i talked about we had to hit the eject button on what was supposed to be a three-day trip less than 24 hours in right it so just happens yeah this was this was amazing and i really needed it because my week was absolute fucking shit on fire and so this week has been better i'm really thankful for that and i'm really thankful like jared paid for our tickets Aww. it was just like it was just it was such just a sweet a nice little day, day. yeah and then yeah. the the day of my actual birthday because this was um almost a week after he took me out for coffee at one of my favorite spots and then took me to the art place next door and bought me art Aww. Which may or may not be a nude of me. We'll see. <laughs> I kind of hope he bought you a nude of yourself. I I think it might be me. I think it might be like me. you don't know for sure, but you're well, kind of like I, I need mm. I I posed for the artist and it looks like me, but there there's not a lot of like distinguishing features and right. it's in charcoal. So I'm like I'm pretty sure her three head cam. I gotta double check it's with you. her. I I feel weird being like, is this me? <laughs> so like. Is that the artist you had who mentioned to me before? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And That's I, cool. Yeah, I'm, you should you'll have to ask her. Yeah, so I'm excited. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Wine About Herstory. And thank you so much for sticking with us for two goddamn years. For everyone who was with us at the beginning, thank you so much to our friends of the podcast like Katie, Double E, Hashtag History, Historical AF. Caught Kara. It's Kara. <laughs> God you know, damn it. Maybe we have someone out there named Kara. <laughs> Even when she's trying to say it wrong. She can't. Tina, Jessica, everyone. Yes. Oh, everyone who's had you. us on. You've all been so wonderful. And you've you've really made this such a wonderful experience for us. Right. And thanks to like Haley and For being our first interview. Right. And um Spencer. Spencer. Um, she's amazing. And Kate Atwood. Like for people that have sent us their books and, you know, want us to read their material and everything. Basically anyone that's ever had anything to do with this podcast. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for touching us. <laughs> our hearts. Thank you for touching our hearts. If you I, are. I, I think you should just leave it at touching us. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> if you are not already, which you super should, follow us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod. Twitter at WAH underscore pod our website is whining about herstory and our email is whining about herstory at gmail.com where we would love to hear from you we also have a merch store which you can access through our website uh or find it on teespring and yeah. uh if you want to be a patron and get a load of some amazing bonus content please find us at patreon.com forward slash whining about herstory you can access all of our bonus episodes and videos and everything for as little as one dollar a month and yeah. we actually had like kind of a surprise bonus piece of content because we were on historical af recently we'll let you know when the episode drops so seriously follow us on social media but you can watch the live video from when we were on you this. can see me shamelessly like stuffing my face with tacos okay, because that's what i'm going to be doing after this because recording. kelly and i recorded and i literally had 30 minutes to make dinner it took me exactly 30 minutes i had to get my ass back to she the was, computer she to made do the live dinner. Thing. i was like i'm gonna make no, I had left. You had over. left. Her. I did not plan accordingly. I actually had to make my dinner. I made some HelloFresh. It was amazing, and I, I was on. I was nice enough to mute my mic when I was going like. Rum, she did rum. show everyone the tacos. They, they I, did look delicious. They did, and I was shocked that I had made them because I suck at food. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly, and have an empowered day in Women's History Month. Woohoo! Bye. Bye.